Sometimes I just, I look at all these other founders, right? Jeff, Mark, Larry, Sergey, Our peers. And I just think, man, those guys got so lucky. They really did, yeah. It all just comes down to that first idea. They were just at the right place at the right time. It's crazy how nobody thought to put stores on the internet. Like, of course that's gonna be a trillion dollar business. Welcome to Bad Startup Advice, a parody of the ego-bloated founder-worshipping world of venture-backed tech startups. Each episode begins with authoritatively phrased, but ironically bad, advice on difficult and nuanced issues every founder faces. After the jokes, we put on our serious hats and discuss the topic more honestly. I'm your host, Paul. I'm the founder at Keeper. I'm an innovator, I'm a visionary, I'm a tech messiah. I started coding when I was six years old. Anyway, with me is David, also founder at Keeper. Yeah, I'm all of those things as well. I started my first lemonade stand when I was five years old. I haven't really looked back since. Yeah. Did you end up selling that business or? Yeah, I sold to my mom. Seven, seven, eight figures? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's not bad. Not bad for a first business. Yeah, you start somewhere. Episode number one. Your idea is the only thing that matters. So building a startup is a highly linear process. This is something people don't understand, right? And the first point in that line is having the perfect startup idea. It's like finding true love. You see it from across the room, it touches its hair, and you don't have to think about it too hard. Everyone has their own perfect startup idea, and really only one, that's yep. the thing. Yeah. If you missed your chance, it's over. Yeah, you might as well just be middle manager. Generally speaking, there are, there are three real time-tested methods here, right? So yep. the first one is the God Mode spreadsheet. You got your rows with all of the solutions. Yeah, NLP, OCR, social network, cryptocurrency, distributed ledger. Those are the tools at your toolkit. Yep. And in the columns, you have every possible industry. The bigger, the better, right? Healthcare, shipping, logistics, janitorial services, productivity. Yeah, think outside the box, right? China. Yeah. China, China is China's a column. China's a good one. Yeah. And then you just play bingo, right? Facebook for dongs. Like NLP in China. Or a marketplace for toiletries, right? Yeah. So it just becomes really simple to mix and match. You want to have yeah. like 100 rows yeah. and 100 columns at least. And then at that point, that's where the art comes into play. What I like to do is I put it up on my screen and then I just take five steps back and I take off my glasses and I just, I just see if anyone pops out. And this is where Zuckerberg is a genius, right? Like yeah. that spreadsheet is going to be huge. So really what you want to do is put on your Oculus. Get, yeah. get that spreadsheet in the middle. So you yeah. create a hallway of uh -huh. ideas. Right? Ideal hallway. And so you're just out there. You're, you have your goggles on. Your yep. hands and arms are in the air. Yep. And you're just feeling out. Like, like literally. Twister. Whatever your hand is on, that's a good idea. That could yeah. be the next billion dollar. Yeah. I think the other thing to keep in mind, David, I really like to advise the method where you pick something you know nothing about, yeah. but it has a large market size. Think like hundreds of trillions of dollars because you're a tech genius, right? You're going to step into that industry and naturally be an innovator. Whatever you've learned in the past about an industry, it's going to hold you back. Throw it out yeah. right away. Yeah. It's why the world exists the way it is now yeah. and not the way it should be. Everybody else is an idiot. That's the thing to remember if you're going to be a visionary founder. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So got your perfect idea. David, what do I do now? Yeah, so the next thing you do is you don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Yeah, that is a classic founder mistake, right? Oh you, my God. you go and tell your, I don't know, your wife, your husband, yeah. your, your close friends. Don't do it. Next thing you know, you have a dozen competitors. Yep, because the way that things work, right? Everybody wants to be a founder, right? Everyone worships us. So I think if they find out that you have an idea, right? They're gonna 
They're going to quit their jobs. They're going to go and yeah. build your dream immediately. It becomes a beeline sprint to the finish line. Even and investors, that's... a lot of investors actually secretly want to be founders. Yeah, that happens all the time. All they're, the time. Yeah, this is yeah. classic founder tragedy. That's why I never say what we're doing. It's always stealth. Yeah. Ideally, you don't even tell your users, your employees. The best companies, yeah. like... They pivoted. They claim to have pivoted. Like you have your Slack. They were working on the video game. Next thing they're messaging at. No, come on. They knew what they were doing. That is genius. One of the stealthiest moves I've seen. Yeah. All right. Jokes aside, startup ideas are hard. There's yeah. no formula. I do think there are a few principles. The first principle is founder market fits. So contrary to our bad advice from earlier, your individual expertise does really matter. I think this is a, a common mistake that I know I made. There's this assumption that just because I don't know about something, therefore I maybe were the first ones to think of it. And that's just never true. Yeah. If you're actually the first one to think of something, it's probably idiotic. <laughs> that almost, that never happens. There are so many founders. Just try Googling. <laughs> I know it's scary when you have an idea and you want to pretend like yeah. it's going to be the only one. It's actually crazy how often that happens. Yeah. I go out there and I'm like, okay, what, this thing should exist. It and does. it does exist. It does. <laughs> of course it exists. Of course it does. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why there are thousands of travel apps and food delivery apps and note-taking apps and marketplaces for task rabbits or just there's a lot of founders. So yeah, so you sit down and you think, what is my uniqueness as a founder? And ideally, it's uniqueness from other founders, right? Remember, the founders are mostly uh, privileged, straight, single males in their 20s. So think about what makes you different. It has to be some uniqueness. So make a list of your past work experiences. What did you do? What? frustrated you most about that work, hobbies. I think the second one is staying humble. And the theme here is there's this inherent drive to just ignore, like not actually research it. <laughs> there is a tendency, I think, for folks that rush to build. It makes sense, right? It makes like sense. You're, as a startup founder, you, you are a builder. It's a lot easier to just be building something than staring into the abyss of, wow, this might be hard. But the thing is, you have to do both. <laughs> You have to spend some of your time staring into the abyss and you have to build it. You can't do one or the other. Remember that ideas evolve. Whatever you thought sitting in your ivory tower would solve a particular problem, there's a good chance it doesn't. First of all, maybe that problem isn't actually a problem or maybe the solution is way less interesting than you had hoped. Right. And this kind of leads into our next point, which is contrary to the secrecy at all, at all costs yeah. method. You do actually, what you want to do is actually talk to everyone. Everyone. The reality is that no one wants to steal your shitty idea. No. Even the best ideas, like at some point you're gonna have to ram it down people's throats. Yeah. And and so what you really want is as much feedback as you can get. Yeah. I think the key to doing this successfully is a skill set that I think is maybe the most underrated as a founder that I know I have struggled to build over the five years that we've been doing this, but it, that is the most important skill set in my opinion. And it is separating your ego from the business, right? It's knowing that, okay, I'm going to pitch something and maybe I'm wrong, but that doesn't make me an idiot. That doesn't mean that I'm stupid for having talked to all yeah. my friends about this. And then two weeks later be like, psych that I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's hard though, because obviously there, there are times where you've you feel like you've sunk a decent yeah. amount of time and effort. And so if the feedback comes back pretty negative, it can hurt, but it's important to keep that perspective. You're trying something different, yeah. difficult, and you have to be open to the possibility you're wrong. And you're going to get criticism, right? Unless they're trying to be nice to you, which is a useless conversation, you're going to get some version of, oh, the market size isn't big enough. How are you going to make money? What about the competition? You're going to get some version of that. And so if that dissuades you, that's probably a sign that you shouldn't 
do it. You should get to a point. You should talk to everyone about it enough where you've heard all the, yeah. you've heard all the. Responses. You can answer any of those questions. You've yeah. got rebuttals, and you're comfortable with the fact that no one actually knows. Neither do you. This is the risk you want to take. Yeah. The, realistically, the best spot you can end up in is there are a couple of underlying assumptions to your idea yep. that are somewhat unknown and you have a hypothesis or thesis on the market or a particular angle and you're willing to defend that and some folks are going to disagree oh yeah they should yeah the other thing you'll wrap your head around as a early stage founder is just the dynamics of venture capital unlike a lot of activities in your life leading up to this point that had a high chance of success and some predictability. This is an activity that is designed to have a 5% chance of succeeding and turning into something valuable. Yeah, if you're lucky, I think. If you're lucky, 5% chance. If Why have you ever done anything in life that has a 5% chance of success, right? But committed wholeheartedly, thrown away your life for this thing. You don't do that. And so it's just a very weird thing to get used to. And 5% is great, by the way, because that's why venture capital exists is because that 5% has an outsized 100x return, which yeah. makes the EV worth yeah. it. And that's another important point, which is you don't need to prove with certainty that you're going to make it, right? Yeah. The flip side of this is VCs know that the best a startup could do is have a 5% chance of success. Yep. And so it's okay if there are serious unknowns. For a VC, it's fine. They have their risk spread across a portfolio of companies. Yeah. And so you shouldn't feel like you need certainty. Yeah. Um, I actually, I think it's much more impressive to just dig up the bodies and put them right in front of the person you're talking to and identify them. Be like, look, here are the three reasons not to invest. I used to pitch like this during yeah. seed. You shouldn't invest if you don't think that the market size is big enough. Just pull those things forward and have a mature conversation about it. Because I think what happens to a lot of founders is that they try to hide the things they're uncertain about and it causes their pitch to be weak. It makes the person listening to them not trust them because they can tell that you're trying to hide something. A lot of times the investor can tease out those concerns and so the fact that you're trying to sweep them under the rug in the best case makes them not trust you but in the worst case it means they think you don't understand your own business yeah, yeah i feel like early stage investing is 90 percent psychology and 10 percent actual logic no one actually knows what's going to work and what's not going to work but they are reading you as a founder are you trying to run away from the truth are you lying to yourself are you able to stay confident in the face of uncertainty that matters in many ways a lot more than the idea so we can talk about a few more specific things. When we went through YC in 2019, there was definitely a theme in what investors wanted to invest in. Always going to be true. And so in our case, the theme that, I, that shocked me as a founder was that basically 80% of the companies in our YC batch were B2B. And I remember thinking like, like why? But you would think that more people would just build for the consumer. Like it makes sense. There's a lot of huge consumer businesses, like why build B2B? And I think this comes back to this fallacy that we alluded to in the bad advice section, which is that a good startup idea isn't just like some gap in the world that you want to fill. There has to be a reason why it's venture backable. And it just so happens that B2B is a lot more venture backable because of the network effects and bottoms up approach that a lot of enterprise software could take, which just didn't exist in B2C in the same way, keeping in mind that just because of, there's a problem and just because you have a better solution doesn't mean it's a good venture back. But what are your thoughts? So what are your thoughts on catering to that? So there's a world in which you say, look, here's what VCs right now are investing in. Do I want to proactively pursue a business idea in that space? Or is that kind of an independent 
axes. So my, my example here is in 2021, there was definitely a flurry of startups that kind of did Neobank, credit card, right. fintech, and these companies raise a ton of money. Yeah. But now they're all in a dogfight. The competition is super stiff. None of them have any moat. And it's, yeah, they raise money, but are they actually better off for it? Yeah, hindsight is 2020, but I'm trying to think of the counterpoint. I'm trying to steel man this. Are there cases where everyone was doing something and you should too? Delivery apps? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> are there any cases? If you can actually win in the space, the thing is there is going to be a winner. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And so you're going to get the survivorship bias where the winner is going to go out there and say, look, yeah. I was that's true here at the time the trend yeah. materialized. So it's, yeah, I guess that's true. Amazon wasn't the only, there were a bunch of e-commerce startups at the time. I think you better be confident in your abilities as an operator. Those industries, oftentimes the competitive advantage is raising more money and hiring better people. And so if you have a competitive advantage in those things, then yeah, go for it. And um, being a great operator to yeah. go to the market, it's a dogfight. It's have, a dogfight, it's, yeah. it's about getting market share. I think that's a fallacy that a lot of people make because they think, oh, an idea is as simple as just picking a trend and then pitching it. Technicians will always frame a fundraise as this is a, ch a chat GPT-based concept marketing vertical SaaS platform. And, you, and it'll be framed as they must have just started with what can we apply chat GPT to the hammer looking for a nail. But I think the much more realistic thing that actually happened with Jasper was they were experts in selling to content marketers and building software for content marketers. And then they just happened to apply this tech to it. So I think it's much, it's a much better idea to start with the problem right. and the solution. Basically. That actually happened for us too. So we started with finding write-offs for freelancers and we do use GPT-3 now. And so it was a nice case where this was a tool that could augment our product, but definitely not the other way around. I think it makes fundraising a little bit harder because investors don't have, they can't look at someone else that raised on these terms and make a comparable deal. They have to make it from quote unquote first principles. Right. So let's talk about, you have your idea. Let's talk about what that moment feels like. The sort of true love moment of, of being a founder. What does that look like? What do you do next? How do you know, David? I don't think you do know. Yeah. I think, I think there was a lot of uncertainty the whole time. Yeah, for like, I don't know. Years. Three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually a fallacy to, to say, oh, at this point in time, yeah. I had it written on my napkin and that's when I knew. I think yeah. you have the idea, you've talked to people, it seems like there's something to it, but there are some obvious big concerns. Yeah. You go and look at those concerns, you alleviate some of them, new ones come up. It's just a constant iterative process. Yeah, and I think that the challenging thing, we had this moment where we had raised money, right? And we had this idea and it was like, all right, it feels like you're sitting on a secret and the secret is, this is a stupid idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's important to just, it took us a while, but we eventually had a narrative, an internal narrative where we picked a direction. Our job is to run in that direction and find out if there's anything yeah. at the end of that road. Exactly. I think this goes back to the 5% probability of success. I think yeah. it's okay if you yourself believe that it's only, hopefully you believe it's higher than five, but you can have ex ex doubt yourself about, yeah. yeah. And that's not, the other tricky part is obviously as a founder, you have to be persuasive. And if you're going to get anyone to join your shitty company, you have to be passionate about it. And the trick there is don't try to pitch your solution. <laughs> pitch the problem. Yeah. Pitch the problem. Cause that's the part that's actually true. You don't really know if your solution is going to work or not. You can talk about like the traction you have and the vision you have, but spend most of the pitch, getting them excited about the problem. That's the way to stay authentic. Whilst I think what a lot of founders do is they make the mistake of thinking that their job is to be 
hype men for everything. Like they're infallible. Their solution is perfect, and no one will join them unless they also understand that the solution is perfect, which is just not true. You're just you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, David. You really won't know. We have this moment where we our retention just wasn't good. Yeah. Like all really bad. Like people people were just leaving in droves, and we have this leap of faith moment where we're like okay, I guess if we just keep improving the product. Yeah. Is this fixable or is this existential? Yeah, at some point, I guess they'll stick around. And yeah, look, we're not some shining example of the perfect unicorn, but it was true. Retention did improve and you don't know until you do it. Yeah. And then of course, this is the classic strong opinions loosely held thing, but some amazing companies were built who did give up on their initial idea, who stopped running in a direction and pivoted. <laughs> So keep that in mind too. <laughs> Good luck.